Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. One. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, this is Fist Street Soccer on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211 Dan Patrick Sports. I'm Nick Eber along with my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Uh, Kartik, we're going to be all over the world today. We're going to uh, be in the UK and we're going to be here in America as we have stories on uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, MLS expansion, obviously a lot to talk about Premier League-wise, I'm sure. Uh, Spain, Italy, and Germany, maybe they'll make appearances because they always – look, uh, uh, the leagues in Europe, they all interact with one another. They don't live in a cocoon like U.S. soccer, yeah. but uh, that's a whole other story. We've got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, we do. We're also going to take a very early preliminary look at some of the matchups this weekend in the Premier League. We will do our Friday match breakdown for you and give us give you our predictions on Friday as we always do. But the more I look at the matches coming up, and there is a Friday match, by the way. It's Villa-Everton. But the more I look at the Saturday and the Sunday matches, there are some really, really interesting matches, obviously outside of the big clash at Anfield between Liverpool and Arsenal, uh, given where we are you know, two weeks into the season. So we're going to look at some of these. Going to have a chin wag about them. Love to have you join us, 800-878-7529. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Fist Street Sports. You can find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com forward slash Fist Street Sports Talk. Um, because when you participate and share your thoughts with us, as stupid as you think they might be, honestly, most of them actually aren't, uh, we would love to hear from you because it helps us drive content for the show. Uh, by the way, if you're listening on one of our digital platforms, whether that's uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or the award-winning SiriusXM app, we welcome you to the show and remind you that right after the show, like within maybe 10 minutes of the show, our show is available on podcast at bleav.com, uh, believepodcast.com. Our show's up almost immediately. And then, you know, within a couple of hours, you can find it on iTunes and Stitches, and it's up at iHeart and TuneIn and everything else. But if you want it immediately, we post a link on our Twitter account at Fifth Street Sports. That's at Fifth Street Sports, 5TH Street Sports. And you can get the podcast like immediately within like 10 minutes of the show being over. So we certainly hope you will do that. By the way, big hello to our men and women in uniform around the world who are joining us on the show, courtesy of the American Forces Network. A pleasure and a privilege to speak with you as we do everybody, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9 Eastern, Monday through Friday. All right, those are the topics on the table. We hope you'll stay with us. We have to step aside and pay some bills. We'll be right back after this. Well, you know, Kartik, uh, your punditry around the Coutinho move yesterday actually made the highlight clip on the Believe Podcast Network yesterday. You got a lot of listens, a lot of people listening to your nonsense. But uh, actually, you did have some good points and, and really brought up some very, some very valued, valid, uh, valuable points. Um, but, you know, there are some interesting rumors going out, and, and some of the other pundits and former players are actually saying, you know, Coutinho, not half the player he was when he moved to Barcelona. And... And I don't know how we got on this topic because we were planning on starting off in the Premier League, but let's not do that right now. Let's get, stay with this Coutinho issue that we spoke about yesterday um, because I want to equate that to the Paul Pogba situation. I think you can see 
what happens to a player's value when they do not meet expectation for whatever reason? In some ways, it's unfortunate for Philippe Coutinho because, you know, you don't go from being an incredible player one year to being, you know, an average player the next. It's the system you play for, play in. It's the opportunities. You know, look, any employee, as you know, Kartik, you know, you have to put them in the best position to succeed, right? You don't want to set someone up for failure, especially not someone you spend 150 million pounds for. Um, but having said that, it would seem that's what happened to Coutinho. And I don't know whether it was uh, the coaching change, I don't know, you know, ex- uh, uh, the coaching situation, I don't know exactly what the situation was at Barcelona, why Coutinho was unable to fit in. You'd think for £150 million they would have uh, sussed all this out, but his value has plummeted. And, and I would suggest that, you know, Pogba's looking at this very same possibility, Kartik, if he has another weak season, that his value is going to drop through the floor. Ryan, and I think Pogba... I've come to the conclusion, look, I'm not, I, I, I've been fair, fairly critical of him in the past, but I've actually come to the cl- conclusion on Pogba that uh, he, the, the disappointment is relative to our expectations, right? Right. He's not a bad player. He's a very good player. Is he the elite top five player in the world we expected? No, but we're judging him based on that largely in our punditry. And, and with Coutinho, I think – much like we've seen with some previous guys who have moved to Barcelona or Real Madrid, it just doesn't work. I mean, I thought we were, I thought for sure, because obviously he grew up in the Barcelona system before we moved to Arsenal, that Cesc Fabregas would be a hit there, but he wasn't. Uh, he, he just never really fit in and uh, didn't look comfortable even when he was successful and even when they were, uh, winning trophies with him in, in, in the lineup. And uh, he ended up back at Chelsea and looked a lot more comfortable yeah. uh, in the Premier League. And, and I think Coutinho, it's something similar. I think um, there is a um, there is a, a, a structure around Barcelona where, got, where you take one, two, three touches uh, around the ball. Messi can take multiple touches, but they're not – they don't have guys necessarily in their system that pick up the ball at midfield and run at players like Coutinho does or pick up the, the, the ball in an attacking, you know, in an attacking midfield position and like the number 10 role and run at players and, and create. That's not been the way Barcelona t- t- traditionally has played. Uh, Bayern does play more like that. I think just in terms of football, it's a better fit for him. I, um, I do understand his value has diminished because of the two or year, year and a half of, of, of uh, misery and disappointment for him at Barcelona. But I, it doesn't affect my valuation of him. I realize his game suits Bayern and suits the Bundesliga better than it suited Barcelona and La Liga. I also think that the players around you you know, Coutinho had a way of making players around you better, but what do you do when the players around you are better than you are? And I'm not yeah, suggesting, right, right. and I wouldn't say that, you know, Messi or, or Suarez or any of those guys are, you know, leaps and bounds better than Coutinho. I mean, they're just all at the same level. And, and I just think that it's hard to stand out. You know, if you're a Ferrari, it's harder to stand out in a car Ferrari show than it is in a, you know, in a show of just, you know, average cars, if you know what I mean. Uh, uh, Yeah, you're still a Ferrari. This is a really stupid analogy, by the way. But you know know where I'm going with this. (laughs) I don't know why I'm on. Oh, my friend George was in town. Yes, he was a big Ferrari fan. I guess that's why I'm thinking about that. Uh, But, uh, yes, um, it is interesting to see 
but on the Pogba situation, I actually uh, agree with you, and I think I think we are maybe seeing a little bit of the maturation of Paul Pogba uh, this year and over the summer when he stomped his feet but didn't get the move. And I think the reality, and it's no longer about his Pogba wear and all of his, you know, his uh, Instagram videos and all the rest of that stuff. You know, now he didn't get the move. He didn't get the move based on his image, based on his World Cup, based on his reputation. He is going to get what he wants only based on his achievements going forward. And and to his credit, as you pointed out, Kartik, I think his, you know, he's rolled up the shirt sleeves and it looks like he's ready to get to work. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I think he, look, he missed a penalty yesterday. There was a lot of chat, chatter on the ESPN FC show last night, Craig Burley and, and uh, Alejandro Moreno, that he should have been taking the penalty, that it should have been Rashford. Yeah, Rashford, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I get that. But that doesn't diminish to me uh, the game he had and the run he made to draw the penalty. Yeah. I mean, that's, there are very few midfielders in the world that can pick up the ball and do that like Pogba. That's what we expected to see several years ago. And we see it every now and then, yeah. right? Yeah, I but... think he's looked very good in these first two matches. The Chelsea game, uh, he played a blinder in the second half. Maybe yeah. that was partly due to the, the, the low level of opposition. We're going to get to talking about Chelsea in a little bit. But yeah. uh, I think Pogba is looked better for me this season. Oh, no, he certainly looked better. And, and you know, I, I think the um, – look, it's unfortunate for Pogba that he took a stinker of a penalty. But, you know, it takes a giant pair of huevos rancheros – to grab the ball and want to take that penalty from the spot because it, it puts so much pressure on you. A lot of players just don't want to take penalties, period. Uh, so, uh, you know, okay, so he didn't score, and, and I know he's being lambasted for it, but, but you know, it, it takes it takes a giant pair of, you know, watts to get up and, and do yeah. that to begin with. So, uh, you know, I would suggest that that's probably not, not, not the right approach. But, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Chelsea for a minute. We have three minutes, and then we're going to get to more Premier League action after the break. But it it is interesting to watch Chelsea because, on the one hand, they really don't look very good, okay. Uh, but on the other hand, no. you recognize that this is you know uh, a young manager in terms of experience. This is a bunch of young players in terms of age. Uh, this is a transitional system. Because we've gone from, you know, was it Sari's system now to Lampard's system? Um, and he hasn't had an opportunity to bring the players in that are going to fit sort of whatever system, you know, he had. So it's very much a transitional time for the club. So I, I think maybe the issue isn't whether they're playing poorly or playing well. I think we have to look at Chelsea in in much the same vein that we would say you'd mentioned Leicester City with all the young players and how they could have a great run and then just collapse for the next bunch of matches. And uh, I think we might be in the same roller coaster ride with Chelsea. Yeah, I I think, uh, in fact, there's a real question on um, how um, how inconsistent Chelsea could be because they're now depending on Tammy Abraham. They're depending on Mason Mount. They're going to depend on Callum Hudson yeah. when he gets back. Uh, Christian Pulisic, they're depending on. Maybe they shouldn't be depending on him, but they are. Uh, they have a lot of young players. And unlike Leicester, who has a seasoned manager in Brendan Rodgers and also one with a, a history of really developing young players to the fullest uh, as Chelsea youth coach at Swansea, at uh, at Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah. I, I forgive me. I, I don't know 
who he maybe Kieran Tierney is one that went to Arsenal now at Celtic. I'm not sure which young players were developed there, but uh, certainly in England, he has a history of doing that. Uh, Frank Lampard has no history of doing that. Uh, as great a player as he was right. uh, and last season at Derby, he had a team, a good team, which he inherited. He added Mount uh, on loan uh, from Chelsea to that team. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily, and this is the thing we don't know yet. Uh, Nick, he's a, he was a great player. Does he have the finer touch to work with younger players and develop them? Or is he going to be one of those great players who's impatient and turns out to be a bad coach? We don't know that. Yeah, I, Who's a perfectionist? I, well, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Actually, I'm going to share my thoughts and we come back because we have to go to break here in 30 seconds. You're listening to Fist Street Soccer, Nick Eber and Kartik Krishna with you. Find us on Twitter at Fist Street Sports. That's where we will be. Is it break time? Oh, no, we've got a lot more time. Uh, no, we don't. It is break time. No, it's break time. I don't know where the music is. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. All right, guys, you're clear. You fooled me without music. Sometimes I try to do things and they just don't turn out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. And it's like I take my time and I try real hard. No All right, welcome back. Nick no Kartik with you. Fist Street Soccer. Well, oh, yeah, before the break, uh, we were talking about Chelsea and... I was telling, we were talking about Frank Lampard, and I said I had a few thoughts, but, you know, because I'm old and the break hit and it was three minutes, I've managed to forget them. So uh, I will try to reel them in through my aged cloud of a mind. But I think I was rather thinking that I like Frank Lampard as a manager at Chelsea precisely for the same reason that I like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the time that he came into Man United. Uh, I think a young manager with a bunch of young players is going to get more out of uh, Harry Redknapp with a bunch of young players. Um, you know, that's yeah. a, uh, this is an old school, um, you know, Steve Bruce, Harry Redknapp. It, it just, it, you know, it's not going to work with these types of players they have uh, with that mix of players. Uh, you know, having said that, I think the situation at Chelsea versus the situation at United is uh, is more problematic because whereas United had retained their sort of playmaking talisman in Pogba, we were just talking about him, Chelsea, of course, got rid of theirs by the name of Aiden Hazard. And then to boot, you know, if you want to further kill off your team, get rid of an important centre-back, which they did with David Luiz. So, I mean, I I I'm not sure what their long-term strategy is, it is one of rebuilding, and it is going to be a rebuilding year, and fans need to be patient with Chelsea Football Club, and I am fairly certain, Kartik, at this very, very early time in the season, that Chelsea will not be a top-four team at the end of the season. I just think they're going to lack the one thing they're going to need, and that is consistency over a period of time, and I just don't think they're going to have it. Right, obviously they've got Rudiger and Willian played a little bit toward the end of the match on on Sunday. They've got Needs Rudiger still to come back. Way. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, and obviously Hudson Odoi and Loftus Cheek who are younger players, but I think elite younger players uh, to to come back. But I think that they look like a team that Frank Lampard has a style 
a high energy style, which is going to involve quick movement and quick passing, which, which we like watching, uh, building on what Mauricio Sarri put in place last season, uh, moving back to a 4-3-3 after under Conte, they had played a very defensive uh, system with wing backs and, and, and much more conservative. Uh, but they also, I don't think, have the experience or the seasoning to right. play that kind of intense high energy match for 90 minutes. And we saw that on Sunday, right? Well, against they looked very good for 25 minutes, looked terrible the next 20 minutes and looked even worse in the second half. Yeah. To, to be fair, I'm not saying Chelsea are a bad team. Then they're not. Um, and I'm not suggesting they couldn't beat any team in the Premier League on any particular day because they could. Uh, it's just the one thing that will get you to the top of the table. We say this every year. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. If it was a sprint, I would certainly put, you know, potentially put some money on Chelsea, but it's not. It's a marathon, and it's that those period, those consistent 10-12 match unbeaten streaks that you're going to need to break into the top four in this particular iteration of the Premier League, and I think Chelsea are going to have a very difficult time getting that level of consistency. So for that reason, Kartik, and for that reason only, not because I don't think they're good, but because I think they're going to show the same level of inconsistency you see with teams like Leicester or maybe Wolves to a lesser degree. Um, I just don't see them doing it. I do think the top four is going to be fascinating because you clear, clearly you've got Spurs who are good. We saw that, you know, we saw that uh, over the weekend, right? Uh, even without yeah. VAR's help, that was a close game, and you know they were right in it. Uh, you've clearly got Arsenal, who <laughs> haven't even bedded in their new players and they're six out of six points so far in the season and are playing some nice-looking football. Uh, I think that's another example of a team whose you know, manager has managed to instill a system and belief in the players in Unai Emery that you know, I, I think maybe we didn't get given credit for earlier on in the season last season. But, but you know, you've got Arsenal. And by the way, I, I read a really interesting article with Cronky's uh, uh, son Saying how it was the um, uh, it was last year, I guess, in the final when they when they went out, you know, uh, that um, they kind of looked and said, "We need to, we do really need to spend some money and revamp our signing policies." Yeah, so that so that Europa League final where they were quite frankly humiliated by Sarri's yeah. Chelsea uh, and Eden Hazard's final match as a Chelsea player. Uh, uh, may have been a, a good thing for Arsenal because, and, and the one guy who looked good in that game, match, actually they sold to Everton, which was Alex Awobi. Yeah, uh, so basically that was a, a, a boon where Kroenke's son has said, now we realize we need to spend some money. They need to back Unai Emery, who, his, who was, uh, look, I, a lot of people have judged Unai Emery by his, uh, uh, I guess, failed tenure at PSG, right? Everybody fails at PSG because the expectations are off the charts, etc. That's a dysfunctional club. I judge Unai Emery by his the job he did at Valencia, where he's been as successful as any manager they've had, and they've had a lot of good managers. And then at Sevilla, where he won three European um, Europa leagues in a row, so uh, and won uh, the, the the Copa del Rey uh, one year. So he's a very good manager, uh, and he just needs time in Arsenal. The other thing about uh, Emery now that's interesting, I think we've mentioned a few times in the last two weeks, is the number of young players that are getting a run out. Yeah. A num number of guys that came through Arsenal's system. Uh, Wilcock, uh, was the player I was trying to think of the other day and whose name escaped me. And then, uh, obviously, you have got uh, Maitland-Niles and, um, and Reese Nelson. 
all three of these guys could be in the England team if they keep playing as well as they've been playing for Arsenal. Um, England has so many good young players. We mentioned Mason Mount, Phil Foden, etc. Brewster, who might get a run out this year for, for Liverpool, the attacking player. Uh, all of these guys won under 20 and under 17 World Cups with England. So uh, that, to me, is interesting. And then I have to tell you, uh, Nick, also Manchester United is going to be in that conversation. So we have yeah. four spots for five teams, Correct. basically. Yeah. And so someone's going to miss out. Yeah, someone, someone's going to miss out. But, I mean, I, I think we can see uh, – look, I, I think um, – well, I, I, I guess we're really going get, to get a chance to take a look at it this weekend. Um, but I, I think that fourth spot's going to be a, a heck of a battle between Arsenal and, and Manchester United. And, and I, I don't think at this point in the season I'm prepared to choose one over the other, although Arsenal unbeaten in two games, obviously. But we'll, we'll have a good look this weekend when Arsenal have a very difficult task ahead of them. They travel uh, to Anfield to play current league leaders Liverpool. Uh, and I know um, uh, it's going to be a tough, uh, a tough outing for them. By the way, some terrific matches this, this weekend, other than just the normal ones like the Liverpool-Arsenal at Anfield, which obviously is a great match. Norwich-Chelsea is going to be a fascinating match to watch. I mean, Norwich love to attack. They don't have an off switch. They're just going to go at it. And and Chelsea, yeah. uh, you know, they're going to be put under pressure, but they have players that can attack as well. Take the over on whatever this game is, because there will be a lot of goals in this game. Um, Everton-Villa on Friday. I mean, what a fascinating match that is. I mean, Everton have been a bit of a slow start, I'd say. Uh, Villa, of course, have 140 million pounds worth of new signings that they're in the process of betting in. That should be a pretty, uh, pretty interesting match as well. That's at Villa Park. Brighton, Southampton, another interesting one at the Amex. Um, Sheffield, Leicester. I mean, how interested in that at Bramall Lane, Kartik? I mean, Sheffield so That's far, really... bit of a surprise, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think Sheffield United's been very good going forward, and they also have this thing with the inverted. Um inverted center backs uh, that Chris Wilder has created uh, tactically, which is v- very confusing. It's, it's, it's not confusing. I, I like it, but, you know, confusing tactically for, for the opposition. By the way, I had a conversation. I, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this with uh, Coach Paul Daglish, Miami FC. Yes, the son of Kenny Daglish and the brother of Kelly Cates of Sky Sports fame uh, of earlier this evening. And we were just talking about how, uh, how fun Norwich is to watch under Daniel Farka. That that's yeah. just, I, I think, a team. Uh, obviously, Dag Leach is a Liverpool man, uh, but that's a team that yeah, we're all going to be watching closely this season just because the way they attack, the way they play football, um, how, how fearless uh, Cantwell as a player, you know, he's, in, he's their number 10, uh, the kind of uh, a fearlessness in, in which he takes on defenders and, and, and brings his teammates into playing. Team of Pookie, who was the best player uh, in the championship, in last, the year. championship yeah. last year, just building on that in the Premier League. So yep. uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, some other interesting matches. One I'm particularly interested to see is Watford-West Ham. I mean, uh, you know, West Ham, poor old West Ham. I mentioned this before. They got to face City first match of the season, got tonked 5-0. But I, I, like, this. I like this West Ham team. You know, I think they're, I think they're solid. And, uh, and Watford have been off to a rough, rough start this season. So there's going to be a lot at play at Vicarage Road. Uh, but really, the other big match to look at on Sunday, of course, is Newcastle Spurs at uh, you know the New White Hart Lane in London because a lot of pressure on Newcastle United. But I think uh, Joe Linton's injured, isn't he? Yeah, and without Joe Linton, uh, they're not. They don't have much going forward. He, he's a player I like. 
last season in the Bundesliga, I, I don't think he's a guy that alone can save a club that's um, – let, let's face it. They, yeah, this is a club that got 45 points with Rafa Benitez last season. So that's 25 points with another manager. They've added Joe Linton. That probably gets them to 30 or 32. Uh, that's still not going to be enough. I don't blame Steve Bruce. I, I just think that it's a hopeless situation. If they don't have Joe Linton uh, this week, they're going to lose. And uh, they, uh, they're going to put a lot on that poor guy because he's going to have to score uh, – 15 to 18 goals at least to keep them up. Yeah, I'm just looking without at much support. Right. And, um, well, I mean, look at this. I mean, they're plus uh, 600, uh, Tottenham and minus 275, complete dogs. I wonder what the uh, wonder what the total goals here are. I'll tell you right now. Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, yeah, it's three is the consensus. I'd probably take the over. Uh, this could be a 4 0 or maybe even a 3 1, but I think there'll be more than three goals in this match. All right. Uh, we're going to go head to break. When we come back, uh, we'll wrap up our Premier League discussions and move right along to this side of the Atlantic where, well, it looks like St. Louis are going to have an MLS team. And if you like arsenic, you want to follow David Beckham. We'll be right back after this. And indeed, we understand that when it comes to high... All right, welcome back to Street Soccer. Nick and Kartik with you. Well, we were just kind of wrapping up our discussion of the Premier League. We were giving a little early look-see into the matches this weekend. Uh, some interesting matches, despite the marquee, obviously, Anfield, match at Anfield between Liverpool and Arsenal. So matches to watch out for. Villa-Everton, uh, definitely on Friday. Norwich-Chelsea is going to be an absolutely fabulous match to watch. Very early, though, 4.30 in the morning on the West Coast. Uh, Brighton-Southampton as well. Uh, Sheffield, Leicester, and Watford, West Ham uh, would be probably of the four seven a.m. Pacific time or, or till ten a.m. Eastern time of the of those four matches. Sheffield, Leicester, Watford, West Ham would be the two that I would probably prefer to watch. I can generally watch like two at one time. After that, you know, I'm like Hugh Hefner and is at the Grotto. I just uh, wouldn't want to know, wouldn't <laughs> know what to do with all those beauties. Uh, all right. Um, and then Liverpool Arsenal. So, and then of course Sunday Spurs Newcastle Wolves Burnley should be pretty interesting as well. I, I do suspect oh, yeah. Yeah. that Man City will bounce back strong after their uh, surprise draw uh, to uh, Tottenham uh, at Vitality against Bournemouth. And of course, uh, the weekend following on uh, the first of September, we have a North London derby. So that's what's going on in the UK uh, in terms of the Premier League. But let's come to this side of the Atlantic because two big stories circulating right now. Uh, let's start with St. Louis, uh, Kartik, where MLS have once again got some poor suckers to pony up $200 million uh, for the Ponzi scheme to get a new, brand new franchise in St. Louis. By the way, I'd like to congratulate the city of St. Louis, a real, honest to God, truth, honest to truth soccer town, been responsible for so much of the growth of American soccer over the decades. Very pleased to see that they are getting an MLS team, even though, as you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of the league or its practices. But having said that, uh, congrats to the, the people there in St. Louis. But um, they, they are apparently got 
these franchises lined up, Kartik, I was very surprised St. Louis got this versus Sacramento, who have been filling stadiums and have put in a juicy, deliciously rich ownership group, the type of people that Don Garver likes to hobnob with, uh, and they've still managed not to give them a franchise. Yeah, and, and, and you're beginning to think, uh, when's it ever going to happen for Sacramento? Sacramento has been filling USL stadiums now for six seasons. Uh, they have um, finally gotten over that ownership hurdle. Uh, but in the case of St. Louis, I'm very happy for them. It is uh, soccer's home in a way in the United yeah. States. Uh, I, I'm not in love with MLS uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But if MLS should be in a market, a market that he's richly supported soccer through the years, it is this market. And Agreed. I'm very, very happy that they're they're going to have a team finally in uh, the top division in the, in, in the country. It's long overdue. In fact, St. Yeah, Louis is a say. It's, probably it's, should it's, have had a team at the beginning of MLS 20-some odd right. years ago. Yeah, absolutely, Kartik. Oh, look, we can get some people on in, in, in future shows to talk about the contribution of, of, of St. Louis towards uh, the growth of U.S. soccer, particularly in the 80s and 90s was massive, okay, massive. Yeah. And uh, you, you just can't underestimate it or, or understate it. And so I think, yeah, it's great. Good for them. Uh, as as you, you and I both feel the same way about the league, you know, and they have a very rich family that's owning it. The family that owns Enterprise Rent-A-Car, it's a woman-owned business. I, you know, congratulations. Don't know what that means, but, you know, great. Good on you. Congratulations. I think it's time Sacramento got a team too. But I don't think – I think MLS are going to do everything they can not to give Sacramento the franchise, Kartik, because I think what they're going to do is they're going to delay, they're going to delay, they're going to delay, and it's going to be the 30th franchise, and it's going to come down to Sacramento and Las Vegas – and they're going to take uh, they're going to take the uh, the reserve off the bidding, and uh, it's going to go from two hundred million to five hundred million for that last franchise. And then after somebody stupid ponies up five hundred million, MLS six months later will announce that they're now going to thirty six teams. Yeah, that's the, kind of the way they've operated, right? They've consistently said, "Oh well, we're we're stopping at twenty, uh, and then we're stopping at twenty four. Now we're." Uh, then they, it was 28, and they had 12, uh, 12 uh, cities, 12, 12 markets submit expansion bids uh, for uh, what were supposed to be four teams, and now all of a sudden it's it, it's up to 30. So uh, yeah, and 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 in the case of Sacramento, um, not only Las Vegas, but now there are rumblings that uh, MLS is once again interested in San Diego, uh, where they couldn't get the soccer city stadium uh, uh, deal pass and have had all kinds of other problems, but that that's a market they'd like to be in. Now, actually, Sacramento but by the way, hold on, hold, hold on a second. I just want to add something to what you said. Um, San Diego has also been a big contributor to the growth of soccer in this country over the decades. Yeah. So let's not forget that, too. Uh, let's tip our hat to St. Louis. But you have to give a lot of the same respect to the San Diego area, uh, that area of Southern California that has uh, br brought some of the biggest youth soccer teams, by the way, uh, to and some of the best-known players that have played in the uh, U.S. national team jersey have come through those teams. Yeah, no doubt about that. But I would also point out that uh, per capita – uh, there's no place that's developed and continues to develop soccer players at the rate that uh, St. Louis does in Agreed. this country. I no, mean, no, it's just amazing the number of guys who come out of there when you consider the, the population of that place compared to some other places in the country. But, yeah, so San Diego, I think they'd like to be there. It's never been put together there the way um, the way it should be, but I think that there's a significant possibility now that they could uh, – 
they could finally find an ownership group there, and that's a place they want to be. So that's another potential blow, unfortunately, for uh, for Sacramento. Uh, do you? Re- I mean, look, uh, I I just think that MLS is wary about putting too many more teams on the West Coast. To be fair, I mean, you know, LA has two teams. You got uh, Portland, you got Seattle, you got San Jose. Uh, who else do we have out there? Um, uh, Seattle, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver, of course, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, it's very simple for Major League Soccer, and I'm sorry if you think I'm, uh, you know, dragging out a point, but uh, they can say we're closed, no more expansion, but if you show up with an envelope with $300 million in it and a stadium, they're going to open the door for you no matter where you are. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah, a matter of time. Right. I mean, they need the money. They want the money. Uh, they want to be in as many markets as possible. I mean, ultimately, I think MLS would love to see. You know, I wonder if in some respects MLS isn't eventually going to morph into the Football League of America, where we might have sort of different stratas of leagues and divisions within Major League Soccer. You could have Major League Soccer A and Major League Soccer B, and we might get promotion and relegation from within Major League Soccer. It's unlikely, but it's uh, the rate they're expanding I mean, it seems to me there's not a market that they don't like. I mean, they'll they'll put a market in Gene, Nevada, if they come up with $400 million. Well, yeah, that, there's a lot of educated speculation about that, actually, Nick, that, that what they will do to get around FIFA regulations and um, finally someone telling them they have to stop is, okay, we're, we're done expanding MLS 1. Uh, so now pay $200 million to be in MLS 2, and you can be promoted to MLS 1. Instead of paying the five hundred million, but we're not doing like we're not doing pro rel in an open sense in an open pyramid where teams yeah, start the amateur ranks and work their way up. Yeah, yeah, it's just their MLS teams yeah. will have pro rel with one another, which is which is quite phony uh, if you ask me. But that's uh, well, the whole thing. That's the way they'll also tr- the whole yeah, thing. The whole is thing is just phony and derived. And by the way, uh, what were you saying on uh, World Soccer Talk? More people watched the Southampton Sheffield United match than watched the uh, at, at what like two o'clock in the morning. Then watch this uh, MLS yeah. uh, matchup with uh, yeah, NFC yeah. In, in fact, that was also right. Yeah, the, b- more people watched that match, and more people were watching the uh, the pregame to the uh, um, <laughs> Chelsea Man United match. Now, maybe that was a lot about the Pulisic hype, but still, they had more viewers for that than any MLS match over the weekend. Uh, you see, that's, that's they had more viewers for the pregame show for for uh, the NBC yeah. lead-in show. I mean, it, look, it's a no-win situation for for MLS, by the way, because I mean, people tune in to see the best sport they can watch. Period. Whether it's NBA, you know, Major League Baseball, NFL. I mean, Americans don't watch the Canadian Football League. Okay, I mean, it's on TV, but sure. it doesn't get great ratings. Why? Because it's a second-rate product compared to the NFL, right? Uh, I mean, MLS is forever going to have that problem, but by the same token, until they can get the viewer numbers and get the big rights fees for their product, you know, they're never going to be able, they're never going to be in the position to really open up and be a real league. So, I mean, it is kind of a a vicious circle. But speaking of that, let's go to Miami, where our good friend David Beckham is trying to feed all of the Inter-Miami supporters, other than he's trying to feed them a, a ridiculous name of a club, uh, and a bunch of Italian football history that doesn't exist in Miami. 
Uh, he's also apparently trying to feed them a nice, healthy dosing of arsenic as the new stadium grounds that they were looking at building their new stadium uh, is apparently heavily contaminated. And Kartik, you and I were talking uh, during the break. It seems they are headed for an extended period, a, a stay at uh, one of your and my favorite place, Lockhart Stadium. Yeah. Uh, now, first off on the, uh, the, t- the name of the team, Inter, uh, Inter Miami, no one is going to refer. When you say Inter, you're talking about Inter Milan with anyone who knows football. So, um, uh, even in South Florida, if someone talks to me about Inter, I assume they're talking about Inter Milan, even though this is a local team. So I don't think that name is going to catch up, except with no. the N- MLS fanboys, right? When you it's talk like, about Inter, it's like Real sport, Salt Lake. About Inter Milan, period. It's Real Salt Lake. I mean, or Sporting Kansas City. I mean, how stupid is that? <laughs> now, when you're talking, when you say Sporting, you're talking about Sporting Lisbon. I mean, I, I, it's. Yeah, right. It's the same thing as those two teams, right? I, I suppose. Now, in, in terms of um, the stadium, yeah, they're going to be stuck at Lockhart, which uh, obviously that's the place I grew up as a soccer fan, watching the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, then becoming a ball boy, then later in life working for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and, and, uh, and being a supporter in that stadium. So uh, I, I love the history of that stadium. I hope Inter Miami and MLS don't ruin the history and that they properly honor it. Uh, but as far as the situation in Miami, I, I'm concerned about the fact that there have been kids playing golf in the first tee program on that course for a decade. For a decade, there have been uh, for two decades. There have been uh, player uh, uh, just locals going to that municipal golf course that now they were going to redevelop as a soccer stadium for Beckham's uh, team. And lo and behold, it's a toxic, toxic waste dump for all intents and purposes. <laughs> uh, I, I think that this is a horrible thing. Isn't that and once again, for major league soccer, isn't it? It's a toxic. Yeah. Waste dump, I, yeah. Right. But it just, you know, once again, a, a, a case of municipal governments and sporting clubs, sporting franchises in this country, not giving a damn about the public. Yeah. And only when they're forced to, uh, to do an environmental study, do they realize, oh, my goodness, you know, they're exposing the public to all of this. It's a horrible situation. Right, it is. But uh, I think the upside of this might be that they're going to play at Lockhart. They're going re- to completely remodel it, from my understanding. It's going to seat 18,000. I'll bet you they'll make it modular, Kartik, so that they can go bigger if they yeah. need to. Uh, it's a wonderful old stadium, and I'm sure the stadium will come down and a new one will come up in its place. But the ghosts of history past, of football past, uh, are still going to haunt the old field and the old grounds. And for me, that's what I love about football, is the history. And if there is a stadium or a location in America that has a lot of football history, that's it. So I applaud them for going there uh, and, and swallowing their pride. And I think they're going to end up there for an awfully long time. Yeah. I, I think that's their permanent home, so embrace it. <laughs> embrace it. Embrace it while you can, as opposed to that toxic waste dump of a golf course. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, maybe MLS uh, can sell you a, uh, a beer for $5 and, uh, you know, a, a cup of arsenic for 7 Maybe they'll figure out a way to make a profit <laughs> out of it. All right. Fistory Soccer, Nick and Kartik with you. Uh, we're going to step aside, take a break, be back to wrap it up. By the way... Just a reminder, Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, we are right here talking the beautiful game. We hope you will make us a regular part of your week. All right, we'll be right back after this. All right, 
you back at History Soccer, Nick and Kartik with you. Uh, we're just about at the end of the show, sadly. Um, but Kartik, it seems like we were right on the money because I just noticed, was checking my mail, I actually got a handwritten note from Don Garber inviting me to come spend a weekend at the future home of uh, Inter Miami. It was a golf course uh, in Florida, <laughs> apparently. I don't know. Apparently, you would like me to stay there for a few days and, I don't know, glow in the dark. But uh, now I know that I'm not going to do that. No, and I think there might be a reason they're inviting uh, you. and Presumably, I'll have the same invite uh, to spend some time there. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, final thoughts as we uh, come to the close of the show, Kartik. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Chelsea earlier in the show. I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle. They're gonna the flatter to see most of the season. I hope Frank Lampard gets an opportunity past this season. I hope they don't judge him on uh, squarely on this season with a young team and a transfer ban. Well, you know, um, they're kind of in a bad well, <laughs> they're in a bad position. But you know, as the season comes to an end and the transfer window is going to open for them for next summer. Uh, they're going to look and they're going to say, you know, maybe Lampard's not the right guy. Maybe we'll bring another big name manager in, somebody from another team that we can now, you know, stack with players that they want because we can go on a buying spree. Um, it is going to be interesting. And by the way, I was wondering, just as an aside, we can talk about this tomorrow. But, you know, I was wondering if, if tactically selling Louise and selling uh, Aiden Hazard with a transfer ban and not being able to buy anyone in is going to allow them to sort of spend like crazy without falling in, out of favor with uh, financial fair play when the window does open for them next summer. All right, those are just some Ooh, of the thoughts. Yes, we'll, we'll have to flesh that out a little bit as we go. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're with you, back with you tomorrow. We'll talk more football. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at Fifth Street Sports. And once again, if you missed any of the show, you can catch the podcast. It'll be up within the next 10 minutes. Uh, find us on Twitter at Fist Street Sports. You'll find the link. It's at the Believe B L E A V Podcast Network. All right, folks. Till tomorrow. Have a great night. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.